Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. To kick us off today, I want you to think to yourself how often you've heard someone in a conversation say something like, I swear down on my life, I'm telling the truth. You know, I've heard this phrase a lot in conversations, and it ranges from those trivial conversations like uh, people arguing about whether they've cheated when playing a board game or something like that, to an intense, heated conflict where people are genuinely questioning each other's honesty. Or maybe you've been around people who agree to something and then say, let's shake on it to make that arrangement feel that extra bit secure and set in stone. Or other times people just outright say, I swear to God. When people say or do these kind of things, they're they're trying to make their statements more believable, more credible. And I think the part of the Bible that we're going to focus on today tells us that Jesus actually has an issue with this kind of thing. Yeah, Jesus has an issue with people leaning on these kind of grand statements to get other people to believe us more. So just to recap, if you've not been around the last few weeks or if you've forgotten, we, at our morning service at Fallowfield, are doing a series called How to Live for God, looking at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And it's important to remember the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of things that we need to do to be accepted by God. We are accepted by God already, by his grace, when we trust in Jesus. And this sermon is laying out how we live fruitfully for God in light of his grace. So I'm just going to jump in and read today's passage, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. So this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil." So it's worth saying that through the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, Jesus is looking at what was going on with the religious authorities at the time, with their superficial behaviour, which was focused on impressing others. And he's contrasting that with what it really means to follow Jesus and live for God. So there's this tension and there's this choice before us all. Do we live to impress others or do we live for God? Jesus is encouraging us to go after the real deal, not settle for mere superficial appearances of looking good or looking religious. The temptation to try and impress others with our lives is something that is going to come up again later. But looking more specifically at today's passage, there's a lot of talk in these verses that we've just read about oaths, and an oath could be defined as a solemn promise or a sworn declaration. Oath isn't really a word that we use that much, so today I'm generally going to substitute the word oath for the word promises, so it gets through to us. 
And there's, there's three main points that I believe we can see in this passage that I want to focus on today. And these three points are promises and God's heart, promises and human weakness, and finally, promises and our character. So firstly, promises and God's heart. And we're focusing mainly on verses 33 to 35 for this point. So what we're being warned against in these verses, it's not just false vows, but it's unnecessary vows. Jesus is saying making these kind of vows is not something that we need to do. At the time, the commentators think there were some people uh, that would not swear to the name of God, but they would swear by heaven or by earth. But to do this totally misses the fact that everything belongs to God to start with, and God is concerned with everything. There's nothing that doesn't ultimately relate back to God. As Jesus points out in these verses, heaven is the throne of God, and the earth is the footstool of his feet. And we see this theme throughout the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It seems that at this time there was an issue of people setting a hierarchy of the severity of oaths, as if there were certain vows that, if you made them, they were binding, but others that were not. So back in the Old Testament, uh, in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. But it seems that in the context Jesus was in, people might have been looking at this verse and thinking, okay, we have to keep our vows to the Lord, but if our promise isn't explicitly to God, it's a less serious thing. But Jesus is coming in and he's saying, no, that's not how it works. He's saying every commitment you make is serious and must be honoured. We need to understand God's heart and understand that God is concerned with every word, promise and commitment even if it's not made explicitly to him. So perhaps an underlying problem with uh, this system of vows that there was is that people were acting as if there is a divide between the spiritual life and everyday human existence. But God's concerned with every part of life and with every relationship. We might be inclined to think that something that doesn't directly relate to God isn't a spiritual thing. It's just something separate that can go on alongside our faith, we might think. But that's not the case. At times, we can end up just seeing what we can get away with when we take this kind of rigid approach to understanding uh, that command about oaths. We can create little uh, legal loopholes in our mind and convince ourselves that, that we're obeying a certain command but end up missing the spirit and intent of the law. But through this whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling us to go beyond this legalistic, tick-box style of thinking. He's inviting us to, through him, truly give our hearts, our lives, our affections, our motivations to God. We can't choose to be honest in certain contexts, but not in others. We need to treat all people the right way in our speech. We can't think, I'll be honest with my friends, with those in my inner circle, but... If you're outside of that, I'll just say whatever works to get you off my back. Tim Keller spoke about these verses and summed up one of the central themes well. He said, there can't be degrees of truthfulness in what you say. We need to be consistently honest. 
And we need to realise that words are powerful things that we shouldn't take lightly. We can't make any word we say, any arrangement we make, any commitment we make off limits to God. The words we say and the commitments we make all matter to God. And the reality is, when we make a commitment, honouring or not honouring that commitment can have big consequences, even in contexts that, that might seem trivial. Failing to, to honour a commitment in any context can, can damage trust. So I've, I've got a friend that I'm going to refer to as Otis for today. I'm not going to use his real name. Now, Otis, uh, he grew up in church. He grew up in a Christian home. Uh, but he started to drift away from church in his 20s. But he still he kept in touch with people from his old church youth group. And he, he arranged at one point um, for him and one of these old friends to go out to a gig. And he bought tickets for the pair of them and arranged everything in advance with his friend, who I'll call Arthur. And he, he was really looking forward to it. Then on the day, Otis texts Arthur and say, oh, really looking forward to tonight, mate. What time do you want to head down? And then Arthur, he just replies and he says, sorry, mate, I've got a bit of DIY to do. I'm not going to make it. And it seems like a trivial story, but it left Otis feeling really hurt and let down. He felt like he just couldn't rely on Arthur to honour his commitments. You know, they'd arranged to do it just the two of them for a while. And then he ended up distancing himself from Arthur and consequently was more out of touch with people from church than he was beforehand. So making commitments can have an impact for good or for bad. And God is concerned with all the commitments that we make. And making all these big promises and oaths like swearing by heaven and earth or swearing down on your life, it can seem quite impressive on the, on the surface level. But we need to be aware of making oaths unnecessarily instead of just making a straightforward commitment that we're going to honour. We need to hold the right intentions and be more concerned with truth than with our reputation. So next, let's look at promises and human weakness. So in verse 36, Jesus tells us not to make an oath by our head because we can't make one hair white or black. Making an oath by your head suggests that your head is something that you have some sort of control over. But Jesus' message here is that we don't even have proper control over the way the hairs on our head grow. He's reminding us of our limits as humans. And he's also telling us that we shouldn't make promises that depend on things that are beyond our control and influence. And in reality, there is a lot that we have no control or influence over at all. In our attempts to, to get people to, to believe us or, or like us even, we can end up talking as if we're, we're much more powerful than we really are. But we've got to make sure that we don't over-promise. We mustn't act like we have control over things that we don't have. So making promises that you can't guarantee you can honour is a dangerous thing to do. I'm going to use an extreme example here. But in the American series, The Office, uh, the main character, Michael Scott, who is a paper salesman, uh, is just desperate to be liked and to impress others. So much so that he goes into a local primary school 
And we might have a photo. There we go. He goes into a local primary school, or whatever you call them, elementary school, um, and promises to pay the college tuition fees for every pupil in this third grade class so, so that he looks like a generous uh, pillar of the community. Michael does not have the money to pay for these tuition fees, but he's, he's made his promise. Now, this drags on, and about 10 years later, he, he pops back into the school uh, to see how the class is doing, and they're all very excited, and uh, they can't wait to begin their college education that Michael is supposedly going to pay for. They've even written a song that I'm not going to sing uh, to thank Michael about how he's making their dreams come true. But then Michael, he finally comes to the point where he reckons with reality and, and the limits of his bank account. And he, he stands up before this grateful class of teenagers and he breaks it to them that he's not going to be able to pay for any of their tuition fees. He tells them that he will, however, be able to give each of them a laptop bag. Uh, but that doesn't quite cut it for them. Now, all these young people, they, they feel heartbroken and betrayed. And the end, Michael feels very foolish. He made a promise that he did not have the ability to honour. And he didn't step back to recognise his human limits before making a commitment. We need to recognise our limits because the goal isn't to be a superhuman, but it's to be an honest human. And in that scenario, we're talking about someone actively making an unrealistic, over-the-top promise. But those same principles, uh, they still apply to us, those principles around recognising our human limits because this can tie in with simply how we respond to requests from people. For some of us, a big learning curve might be acknowledging our human limits and learning when we need to say no to something. We can end up saying yes to, to everything we're asked to do. And that can mean we end up not being able to honour the commitments that we make in a meaningful way because we've overextended ourselves. Our yes may have come from a good place, but it ends up not being a meaningful yes. So at times, before we make the decision of either, of either committing to anything else or saying no to anything else, we need to reflect on what we've already said yes to and honour the commitments that we've already made and see whether we actually have the capacity to do something. Staying focused on the task at hand might mean saying no to certain things. We need to avoid making oaths based upon things that we can't actually control. Later on in the, the New Testament, James paints us a picture of, of what it means to recognise our human limits and weaknesses. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 15 of James, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So we need to recognise how little control we have over things as humans, but how all-pervasive God's reach is and that he can be trusted. And there's actually peace and freedom that comes when we do that. And finally, let's look at promises and our character. So in verse 37, Jesus says, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. 
anything beyond these is of evil. So why does Jesus say anything beyond these is of evil? It sounds a bit intense, doesn't it? I suppose here we're getting to a question that, that could be on our minds as, as we read through this whole passage. And the question is, what's the big problem with oaths and promises? And I think a central issue with oaths and promises is that when we rely on these oaths to get people to believe us, we're showing that our words can't simply be accepted for, for what they are and trusted for what they are. The goal for us is to be the kind of people who can automatically be trusted when we say something because our words, intentions and actions are actually genuine. And there's, there's not really a shortcut for this. To be seen as a trustworthy person, you have to have a track record of trustworthiness. You need to be the kind of person whose yes can be taken as yes and whose no can be taken as no. When you don't have this track record of trustworthiness, it might be tempting to, to rely on impressive sounding promises and oaths to, to persuade people you're telling the truth. But in this context, there's no substitute for having a trustworthy and reliable character. We need to say what we mean and mean what we say. I don't know about you, but the, the way I respond to what someone says to me is often going to be dependent upon who it is saying something to me. The way people respond to us in the present uh, is heavily linked to your track record in the past. And this is the case with your relationship to honouring commitments, but it's also the case more generally. People are much more likely to believe you if you have a track record of telling the truth. I had a mate back at high school that I'm going to call Jimmy for today. And sadly, I'm calling the, the people that are bad examples I'm giving fake names to. There's going to be a good example with a real name in a minute. But anyway, sadly, Jimmy did not have a track record of telling the truth. The thing is, this lad was, in his own way, I think, just desperate to be the centre of attention all the time. And because of this, he often found himself lying or, or heavily exaggerating so that he could have a bit of the limelight and outdo people. He was one of those people, if you told him you'd been to Tenerife, he'd tell you you'd been to Arif. And when me and my other mates were excited because we'd got the new Call of Duty game, he'd tell us he'd already got the next Call of Duty that was set to come out a year later because he knew someone that worked at the company somehow. He would just come out with these things that didn't fit together or add up and things that just seemed over the top. And I'm not trying to single our Jimmy out because back at school, I did my fair share of exaggerating or just making stuff up to look good. But Jimmy was an extreme case. And the issue that arose was that whenever he'd come out with something, subconsciously, the rest of us in the group uh, would just take it with a large pinch of salt or not believe him. If Jimmy said yes, I think people would be wondering, does that really mean yes? If Jimmy said no, people would be wondering, does that really mean no? On the other hand, I have a good friend called Mark, and Mark, he lives his life in a way that is consistently honest, diligent, reliable, conscientious, and, and full of integrity. And this flows from his love for Jesus. When Mark tells me something, I don't question it. If he says yes, I know it means yes. And if he says no, I know it means no. But you see, this pursuit of honesty, reliability, and, and straightforwardness, it isn't primarily about us. It's not just about 
me and you and some individualistic project to become a better person. It's about God's kingdom, his big picture, his way of doing things. Being the kind of person who consistently speaks words that are trustworthy and reliable, it might seem rather mundane, but it's actually a pretty revolutionary thing in our era of hype, exaggeration, and political spin. It can point people to Jesus, the one whose words are 100% true, dependable, trustworthy, and reliable. Becoming a Christian isn't just an intellectual matter that leaves your life and your words and your behavior unaffected. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become his representatives to the world. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Our relationship with words has the potential to show people what Jesus is like if we, through his grace and through the Holy Spirit, embody that truthfulness of Christ. Jesus, he wants his people to be dependable and trustworthy in the same way that he is dependable and trustworthy. When we're like that, we can shine the light of Christ into this broken world. So how should we respond to this passage? For some of us, maybe we have lent on these these grand-sounding statements where we say, I swear to God, or I swear down on my life. We need to let go of these kind of statements and focus instead on developing that genuine trustworthiness in our character that comes through consistently honouring our word. Some of us might actually need to get to grips with our limits and weaknesses as humans and learn not to make promises that are beyond our control or commit to things that we don't have the capacity for. And in all this, we're we're looking to the grace of God as our foundation, not striving in our strength to force ourselves to be better people, but seeking to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit who transforms us from within.